Let me invite onto the show Professor Pamandla Zondi, who is Professor at the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation at the University of Johannesburg. Professor Zondi, good morning to you. Good morning, Kate, and good morning to the listeners. It's a pleasure to have you on the show this morning. Let me also then welcome Naeem Jenner, who is the Executive Director at the Afro-Middle East Center. Uh, good morning, Naeem. Good morning, Kate. I think, you know, we're hearing quite a lot of war talk and one just even has to take into account the tone that the U.S. President Joe Biden was speaking in as he was talking about how he felt, uh, you know, the Russian president should no longer remain in power. Professor Sondi, what do you make of all of this? What's happening here? Completely unsurprising and completely truthful and completely honest on the part of Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. The U.S. strategy is regime change in Russia. Nobody with a sound mind does not know that. The U.S., under the Democrats, believes that uh, promotion of democracy is justification for doing something undemocratic called regime change. Because on the basis that what you produce out of there is a democratic uh, outcome. So an undemocratic process can produce a democratic outcome where the democraticness of it is decided in Washington. Because the undemocraticness of a democracy is also decided in, 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 in Washington. That does decide that Russia is not democratic. Uh, what is the basis of it? It's not that it doesn't hold elections. It's not that there are no, no constitution. It's not that there are no independent uh, legal and justice institution. Uh, it is simply that uh, it is inimical to United States uh, strategic um, uh, objectives uh, throughout the world. Um, so what, it, what the, the crime that um, Joe Biden has done is to speak in public what is supposed to be spoken in private as a project uh, of getting the uh, the Russians to rise up against um, Putin on the basis that the war in Ukraine is, is horrible, uh, and secondly, the basis that the war in Ukraine is biting people's lives through these sanctions, and thirdly, that the war in, in, in Ukraine is failed. It has not jammed Russia is embarrassed mm. in the hope that there will be an uprising. That was always a project, by the way. All right. There's so much for me to to unpack out of what you have just said, uh, Professor Zondi. But I want to give Naeem also a quick bite at uh, the subject at hand before we unpack it further. Naeem? Uh, Kathy, if I can just say, I can hear you clearly, but I can't hear um, Zondi very clearly. Oh, are you struggling to hear him? All right. Let's see what the team can do to try and improve uh, that line between the two of you because uh, it's important that that, that we also need you to hear him clearly so that you're able to uh, participate fully in the conversation. But perhaps just your own reflections, Naeem, Naeem, of what's happening here. Yes. So I did hear a little uh, of what he said. Um, I mean, to to a large extent, I agree with what uh, Zondi has said. But let me just add that I think um, the United States and uh, the NATO uh, powers in general have been, in a sense, caught in a position where they have been uh, um, uh, uh, talking up the whole position of Ukraine right uh, right up to the time that the Russian invasion took place. Mm -hmm. Once the invasion took place, 
um, they were not willing to back up the talk, uh, and I don't think that they were willing to do that beforehand uh, either, even though they left that impression. They were not willing to back up the talk with, uh, uh, with, with much action. Uh, there are no NATO troops on the ground, there are no U.S. troops on the ground, etc. And so additional to what, uh, uh, what Sivamandla said uh, is the fact that um, uh, uh, the U.S. president in Europe now needs to make it sound as if, um, as if the United States is actually doing uh, a lot more than, than it is doing uh, in terms of supporting Ukraine, um, that, that it is fully behind uh, the Ukrainians, when uh, that is not really the case, um, that once again what the United States has done um, is it has given the impression to either a group of people or in this, con- in, in this uh, instance a government uh, has given the impression that it would support them when, uh, uh, when, when things came to a crunch, uh, but then didn't, and is basically leaving Ukrainians to, to their own devices. And so he had uh, he what he was doing in that speech uh, and in general is making it sound that uh, the U.S. is standing by its uh, um, uh, its support of Ukraine when in fact it's not. All right. So, so much again to unpack from what you are saying. And of course, our listeners are also uh, invited to be part of the conversation. After the 10.30 news headlines, we'll uh, continue with Professors Pamandla Zondi and Naeem Jenna. I'll also be taking your calls on 011-714-2006. For now, let me head over to the headlines with Anne Musa. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, we continue the conversation looking at the Russia-Ukraine conflict and in particular the remarks made by the U.S. President Joe Biden about how uh, the Russian President Vladimir Putin should not remain in power. Not the first time that they've been remarks that are seen as controversial made by the U.S. President. You heard that clip that we uh, played earlier where he's heard describing Putin as a war criminal, as a butcher, amongst other things. Spamandla Zondi is a professor at the Institute for Pan-African Thought and Conversation at the University of Johannesburg. And Naeem Jinnah is the Executive Director at the Afro-Middle East Centre. Professor Zondi, I want to come back to you because you have said that the U.S. President Biden's remarks are honest in that regime change has always been the intention of the U.S. in Russia. Why do you believe that? And, And what can we look at that has happened that is indicative of that? Yes, um, we must, um, I must also greet Naim, uh, great uh, scholar. Yes, um, the, we must remember that the, the posture of the Democrats in, in the presidency have been to see Russia as an arch enemy of the U.S. And the, the best way to manage them is, was initially to put them under the U.S. umbrella, draw them into the G7, G7 to make it G8, and hope that uh, Russia would become a pliant uh, extension of the Western agenda. As soon as Russia decided to take an independent route, to be more independent uh, and stuff and assert itself, then they decided that the best way to do it is to diminish Russia. One way to diminish Russia uh, was to identify Putin as the problem uh, that is causing 
this posture of Russia, uh, which is why the U.S. Uh, policy on Russia is Putin policy. It's not Russia policy. Um, and they've made Putin the demon, have made the, the, uh, Putin therefore killable. You know, the U.S. has always worked that way. When they wanted to kill Gaddafi, they needed to transform him from a human being to a monster. Know why? Because normally in societies, when you kill a monster, there is sympathy. But when you kill a human being, there is uh, outrage. So to prepare for the killing of Russia, politically or even physically, uh, they have to demonize it. That is part of it. That is why in a class, again, Biden lets us into the secret discussion, uh, perhaps in the House House, in the National Security Council, um, that says um, Putin is a criminal, a war criminal. And then what do you do to a war criminal? You arrest them. If you can kill them, kill them. Uh, it, it becomes acceptable to kill them or to detain them or to do it. So you demonize them, which is to kill them psychologically before you kill them physically. And that's always been a U.S. strategy. And, and, and in this case, it's also manifest again. We can predict from how the U.S. has, has created the past that it now wants to engineer what is called a color revolution. It doesn't come out now. It came out also when they imposed the first sanctions uh, over eight years ago that it was time for Putin to go. That was the thinking in, in, in the United States. It was thinking that mm. you cannot work with Putin anymore. If you cannot work with Putin anymore, it's Putin who must go, not the U.S. Professor Zondi, when we look at the current invasion of Ukraine by Russia, I mean, does the U.S. have to do a lot of work in demonizing Putin? Because all of us are watching, you know, on our screens, real time, on our social media feeds, real time, how it is that Ukrainians are having to, to flee their homes. Yes, of course. You can so, separate so, the two. Yes, so, so, so effectively... The element of, of Russia mm. demonizing itself in a way, or making itself unpopular in certain quarters of society. But you must remember that this is not uncalculated. Cases are just already indicated. And uh, 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 Mieshama, who was a big advocate to the United States for a long time, that the, the, the expansion of NATO would, uh, was calculated force Russia into an action that would uh, undermine it, that could bring its own destruction. So it, it's not, it's like innocent, unforced uh, uh, military action like the military in 2014. We knew it was coming after the 2013-2014 one, but we did nothing to prevent it, but we did everything to make sure it happened. Now, you can't say that those who make sure this happened, this terrible war happened, are completely innocent bystanders. They are part of the game. They knew exactly what the outcome is. You can then say Russia fell into a trap and, and did exactly as they were being pushed to. Uh, they, they, could, uh, they could have held back a little bit more. They've held back over 10 years, by the way. They could have held back a little bit more. But, uh, but you can't um, uh, underestimate the, the work of NATO and the U.S in placing Russia in a position where it would be in this particular condition that you are in now. Then we can isolate it, then we can be blamed for all the things, then we can forget NATO expansion, then we can forget the arming of, 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 of a government in Ukraine 
that was killing its own people in the east of Ukraine. So you, 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 you end up with the moral equivalent of, 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 of demons and the angels and nothing in between. Mm. Naeem, let me come to you because, again, in, in, in the comments that you gave us earlier is that you have described the U.S. as projecting itself to be fully behind Ukraine when, in fact, um, they, they are not. Explain that to me because, again, we've seen unprecedented steps, you know, Ukrainian president making an address before the U.S. Congress. We've seen billions worth of arms, aid, etc. in U.S. dollars being committed towards re- Ukraine. So, I mean, before uh, the invasion took place, the impression that was given to the Ukrainians uh, by not only the U.S., particularly the U.S., but not only the U.S., uh, NATO in general, mm-hmm. was that, uh, that, that Ukraine would be protected by uh, NATO powers were anything to happen. Um, if uh, Russia were to invade, for example, that uh, Ukraine would receive the protection of, uh, of NATO. Um, and of course, we know that that uh, Ukraine had uh, had applied to be a member of NATO, and although NATO had uh, um, said no, not just yet, uh, the impression again that was created was that it's a matter of time; it will become part of NATO, etc. Um, so, all in all, the the impression given to the Ukrainians was that if there was an invasion to take place, if there was uh, belligerence from the side of Russia that they would receive uh, NATO protection and NATO support. Yes, there is. Uh, there are lots of weapons uh, from NATO countries that are going in to, uh, to Ukraine. That is correct. Um, but there's no NATO army um, or no, uh, um, no army of any NATO member state um, that's there, that's willing to be there. Um, and that's why you see the kind of uh, um, sometimes hysterical speeches by the Ukrainian president uh, calling on, uh, calling for support uh, from NATO powers, from the U.S., etc. Um, but it, it's clear now that uh, that kind of support is, uh, is is not going to come. Um, if I could just add one sure. one additional thing, um, is that you know while in general I, I agree with uh, with what Zondi has said, I think that uh, we we need to be a little more careful about the kind of. Um, uh, black and white issues, uh, the black and white way in which we look at uh, some of these issues. Um, I mean, um, you know, Putin really need, needs no help uh, to to be demonized. Um, what he did just a few years ago in Grozny, uh, where he leveled the, the whole city virtually, um, you know, is, uh, is it should be sufficient uh, for 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 the way that people view him. Um, the, the manner in which he's dealt with dissidents in his own country, etc. These are all. Uh, this is all public knowledge. This doesn't need American assistance or American propaganda uh, for us to know um, what uh, what uh, Putin can and does do, um, and what uh, Putin thinks. Um, I mean, he has said uh, his intention with Crimea, and then he went ahead and did what he believed he needed to do. Um, there was a kind of warning or threat, if you like, about the two um, areas in Donbass, uh, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, um, uh, areas which declared themselves independent. Um, and then he went, went ahead and, and did what he, uh, what, what he said. There's, um, you know, I, I think that he doesn't need any assistance from the Americans right. to demonize himself. He's, uh, and then, of course, the, the, the invasion. 
Sure. Um, Naeem, I'm going to pause you there. I'll give you a chance to continue. We just have a quick break coming up. Salim, Mike, Brian, I'll also see you on the line. We'll take your calls as well after this. We continue the conversation on the talking point. Naeem, I just want to give you a chance to uh, complete that thought around why it is that Russia really doesn't need help in terms of uh, being seen in a particular way because uh, there's so much that it has done that has not uh, earned it good publicity anyway. Yeah, no, I, I think I've, I've made the point. Just to add one more thing, mm. is uh, it's, it's role in Syria as well. Um, again, you know, um, Russian supporters will make it sound as if, uh, um, in in the case of Syria, that um, it was a legitimate government that needed to be supported, um, and it was terrorists that were that were opposing that government. In the case of Ukraine, that it's a government of Nazis um, that needed to be brought down, etc. But um, you know, clearly, um, uh, up, up to now, in the past few weeks. The only real regime change project that uh, around which there is any traction is a regime change for Ukraine, not uh, not Russia. All right. Let me go to the phone lines. Mike in Middleburg. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Katie, and your 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 guest today. Mm. Yes, uh, Katie. You know, if uh, there are words that can be described as a roadmap uh, to World War Three or that can be regarded as a building block, is exactly what uh, President Biden has said. And uh, I've been following this story on CNN. You know, they call it Putin's war. You know, you can see that really they want to demonize him. And um, I don't know what they, 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 they hope to achieve with that, because already uh, the way they are doing it, there's a... There's an anti-Western sentiment already building up. Uh, I have lost count, Katie, on uh, special meetings that were held, you know, to attend to the Ukraine matter. Uh, the, the NATO, uh, Biden, and, and, and the European Union, you name them. They've been having uh, these special meetings. And yet, Katie, when you look at this matter from another angle, uh, the special schemes that Ukrainians have in Britain, special housing scheme in Germany, and so forth and so on. The same does not apply for, 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 for others who have been displaced by war. You know, you talk about Libya, you talk about Palestinians, you name them. By so doing, they are building an anti-Western sentiment. And in my view, it is actually a building block towards the World War Three. Okay, and 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 you you feel that the foundation is being laid in that direction, but but Mike, when it comes to how let's say uh, an organization like CNN has chosen to um, talk or to frame this war, Putin's war, are they wrong? Uh, I think they are wrong uh, because uh, let's look at the background. You know, Katie, how this whole thing started. You see, if you take it at face value. You disregard what NATO has done to bring us where we are now. Uh, yes, you can you can just uh, you know simply call it like that. But if you take the background into consideration, the role that has been played by NATO for us to be where we are, for role that has been played by NATO in the Middle East, you know you name them. 
uh, you will realize that uh, they cannot just uh, simple fight as a Putin's war. You know, but, but it was Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. He he yes, started the conflict. Yes, he started the current conflict in the way that we're witnessing it with Ukraine. Of course, as a leader, he will become the center of attraction, of course, you know. Uh, but then let us look at what has led us to be where we are. Mm. Okay, all right, Mike. All right, let's leave it there for this morning. Uh, Salim in Durban, great that you're back up on the line. Salim, good morning. Thank you. Thank you for reconnecting me. Yes. You know, you have a very interesting contemporary subject. You see, this war between Ukraine and Russia, it it actually was brewing for a long time. Wasn't so long ago after Biden became the president, he said that the Russian president Putin was a murderer. He was creating this, this this hype, so you know the anger was building in. And then you see, the West want to dominate the whole world, do what they want to. For a long time, Putin been saying that the expansion of NATO coming to the border of Russia is a dangerous precedent, and that must stop. But the West didn't want to stop. So if you look at what the Ukrainian president been saying, he's been inviting. Needed to come and join that. So, in other words, he was, you know, it, 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 it was becoming necessary for Russia to stop this kind of expansion of rights. You know, if you let allow the West and NATO to do what they want, and they've been destabilizing the world, they, they were responsible for the for the for the for the breakdown of the USSR. They had the Warsaw Pact, now they refused to to follow the Warsaw Pact, and now the Warsaw countries. Are all arming themselves and buying more arms. So in other words, what it means is all these people are now buying arms from America and other weapons, you know, countries that are producing weapons, creating a massive profit for the weapon industry while whilst people in, in Ukraine are dying. So I think the, the statement of Biden is inflammatory and if anything, it's going to create more problems mm-hmm. than any good. It's mm-hmm. not going to bring peace in the world. Because Biden himself is looking like he wants to see this war continue. Okay. All right, Salim. Thanks thanks for that view out in Durban. Uh, Brian in Cape Town. Is this the Brian? Hello, Brian. Thanks for that comment. <laughs> Always good to um, hear from you, Brian. Yeah, likewise, my dear. And likewise, I know this likewise. is right up your alley. Uh, how much you want to bet yeah. that we're not going to finish this conversation without you mentioning imperialism once? <laughs> <laughs> well, you spot on. I'm going to start on that. All right, uh, go for you it. You are spot on. Uh, look, Kathy, this war, this invasion of Ukraine came as no surprise. One has got to see it in its broader context. context rather. Uh, imperialism, but all imperialist countries are warmongers. They've been, you know, if you go back in history, uh, there's not a, a country in the world where they've not interfered in America has caused so much havoc throughout the world, and well, so has Russia. But they are imperialist countries. I mean, if you look at the um, double standards of uh, of these Americans now at the moment, or with the President Biden, they've, uh, you know, in the 60s they dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
uh, Truman, Harry Truman was, gave the orders for that. Lyndon Johnson gave the orders for the war on Vietnam. The list is endless, and as Trotsky has said, if history does, is of no use to us if it doesn't, if we don't learn from it. So um, this is the nature of imperialism. And um, we've got, oh, the enemy is imperialism. They will continue this. They are warmongers. And um, the only problem, that, the other problem that I have is uh, with the capit global capitalist media. It only portrays one side of the picture, although both sides are wrong, uh, Russia and America. They should, we at least want to hear what the views on, on what uh, Putin has to say. Although they are imperialist, one, I'd like a balance. I'd like to hear both sides. I don't like listening to one side of the story. Mm. Brian, uh, uh, I'm, 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 also, I'm going to pick your brain again on this issue of this war. And uh, I think it was Mike who was talking about the way in which uh, CNN describes it as Putin's war. Uh, do you have a particular view in, in as far as that is is concerned? And do you think that it is wrong to describe it as Putin's war. Well, look, uh, you know, my, my, my personal opinion is that there's no good um, imperialist president. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, uh, throughout history, if you look at all of them, they all play a role. They have to protect the global capitalist system as imperialist countries. And um, he... I think he, he, you know, he also has to toe the line with his, uh, the, the bureaucracy in, in uh, Russia. I mean, he, I don't think he can do as he pleases. And, uh, but the, the, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that this is the nature of imperialism, to cause havoc, to cause destruction, um, to exploit countries. They've done this even in, in Latin America. Every single Latin American country, you name it, El Salvador, um, Guatemala, um, Chile in South America, the, the American regime has supported dictators and people who have caused so much death and havoc and chaos throughout the world and, and uh, in those countries. I mean, look at the support they gave, the military support to Pinochet and to the oligarchy in El Salvador and to Guatemala, the, the fruit company in um, in Granada, uh, and, and you can go on and on and on. And uh, this is the nature of imperialism. They won't. They have to exploit, create war to exploit nations okay. throughout the world. Mm. All right, Brian. Let's leave it there. Okay. Brian, out in Cape Town. Okay. Thanks for calling in and sharing your views on this issue. Uh, Professor Zondi, let me come back to you and give you an opportunity to uh, you know, reflect on part of what the listeners have said. And, and I'm, I'm also interested in this question of, of, of Putin's war because it, it speaks to so many aspects of why um, the South African government also is taking the position that uh, it has on, on this conflict. I think uh, the, 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 the difficulty, I mean, as the caller just said now, the clash of imperialisms of different kinds. Mm. Um, though the dominant voices in the world want us to see one imperialism, the Russian imperialism, and not see the, the U.S. imperialism and NATO imperialism in the whole game. That the difficulty for everybody is that the, the, you, you, you're forced to choose between the two. 
And the safest position is not to choose between the two, uh, and rather to find a midway, what is called a non-aligned position. And uh, at that point, um, amplify the voices of of peace and finding a negotiated settlement. Uh, In the case where both sides are looking for a military solution, both sides indeed, uh, you have to find a middle ground because wars never solve problems. Uh, and there's also never a victory. There's never a military victory. It creates new conditions uh, for further war, for further disability and conflict. And that is why I think the vast majority of countries that voted, uh, that have you know, uh, positioned themselves uh, to be non-aligned, would in history be proven to have been correct. Uh, because there is no angel and there is no demon in this process. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's very complicated that demons and angels on both sides, uh, depending on an issue. Um, and, uh, and therefore, the, uh, but it will all work, this middle position, if the UN plays a critical role in, in mediating the talks and, and the talks lead to some settlement. Mm. Without necessarily wanting to be drawn on the broader context of, of the conflict, and look, you know, specifically at what is happening now with Ukrainians that have had to flee, etc., etc. Do the humanitarian conditions not provide a moral imperative for one to take a position that says that, yes, on the political uh, spectrum, we don't want to get involved, but certainly what we are seeing in as far as the loss of lives um, should not be allowed. Definitely. That is why you, you, you then have resolutions that you push for that are calling for negotiation. The easiest, the best way to end that humanitarian crisis is negotiation. Secondly, um, is, as a number of countries pushed last week, is to uh, push for the opening of humanitarian corridors and an increase of humanitarian support and, uh, and, and, and help uh, the Ukrainians who... Who ordinary Ukrainians who are not party to this uh, thing who did very little uh, to to deserve this and uh, who are now suffering badly to, to to get a respite from this, but it will also require wisdom from their own government. We're not catching. Maybe I'm I'm too rural. In my rural background, if there is a bully in the village, I don't go with my bare hand to try and fight a bully because they will push me, finish me off. It's almost inviting self-destruction because there's some heroism in fighting the bully. It doesn't actually work. You, you negotiate your interests and avoid war rather than go into war. And when you are in war, uh, then claim you're going to be victory, which means you're going to elongate the suffering and deepen the suffering. You have to end the suffering. You need to take that high moral ground and push for genuine negotiation and negotiate a, a, a solution out of this. The, the Russians have a lot to answer for, for this year, and, and they, they need to be, if, if their interests are genuine, as they say, to uh, stop NATO, NATO expansion, they have to make sure that the humanitarian uh, corridors are open, they have to make sure that civilians are not directly targeted, right. and they have to re- be receptive to negotiated settlement. Naeem, let me come to you and give you a chance. Uh, I'll wrap up the conversation uh, with you, a chance to, to weigh in again on, on some of the comments have that, that have been shared. Okay, quickly. Um, 
Look, on, on the humanitarian thing, I agree with you and what Zondi just said. And in fact, this is exactly the position that South Africa took last week uh, at the UN, except that uh, various Western powers were not interested in listening only to the humanitarian thing if that resolution did not specifically and explicitly blame Russia. And this, ha this held back uh, a, a possible consensus uh, on the issue. Um, furthermore, on, on the issue of, uh, um, you know, you, you made the point that um, without looking at the kind of uh, broader uh, perspective and the history, this is extremely important, as Brian, I think one of the callers, uh, pointed out, and, and Salim, that the, the kind of eastward movement of NATO, um, certainly from a Russian perspective, is, uh, is dangerous, is a problem, um, and when NATO is refusing to talk about that, um, then you're pushing uh, um, Russia into a position where they, um, uh, where they, you know, the, the kind of desperation uh, does come out and, and does show. This is not an excuse for invading Ukraine, but I'm saying that the broader perspective and the history um, of, of, of this power struggle and the expansion of NATO is extremely important in trying to understand uh, what is going on at the moment. And finally, a point that Mike also made. The media and CNN, uh, most of the Western media, BBC, all of, of that, uh, has been playing an extremely damaging role in this. I mean, part of it, of course, is the racism, uh, the, 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 the idea that uh, Ukrainian refugees are more valuable than any other refugees because they are, and explicitly said by many commentators, blue-eyed and blonde-haired, they are more civilized than, for example, Iraqi and Afghan refugees. Of course, the African refugees probably fall even below that, uh, etc. That racism that has been previously kind of, uh, um, uh, uh, there have been very gentle words and, and talked about, is coming out very explicitly in this case. And I think that this is something that we really need to, need to be very careful with. Many South African media just pick up uh, the, the kind of stuff that we find on these media. Mm. Um, and in many instances, these media are also saber-rattling and pushing uh, for, for a war to, to, to happen or to, to continue. Ultimately, the people that suffer are the Ukrainian uh, civilians. Mm. Both Russia and NATO um, are, is sacrificing Ukrainian civilians uh, on the altar of, of their power in the region, and this is the real issue. All right. Naeem Jenner, let me thank you so much for your time. He's with the Executive Director at the Afro-Middle East Centre and Professor Pamandla Zondi. Thank you to our listeners as well for your contribution to this conversation. And Musa is standing by with the latest news.